Well, we are continuing our series on generosity, and last week we talked about we talked about three ways that we can multiply our generosity, right? One of those ways was to live with a margin in your life. We, we live in a culture where we spend more than we make, and it's important that we live with that margin. Not to God, it simply belongs to him anyway. And so we talked about that, and we talked we know that God blesses that. Uh, tithing is not, tithing was law in the Old Testament. Uh, it was a commandment in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's commended. It's a recommendation. And as we're going to see this morning, we'll touch on that a little bit more. But how many of you have, how many of you are familiar with like opposites? Anybody? You got any coworkers that are opposites? Oh, I got, I got spouses pointing to each other. Um, okay, <laughs> this might be getting too serious here. Just calm down. Um, it, it, there are opposites, right? And it seems like wherever you have one thing, you have another. I, how, how many of us have heard the, heard the phrase that life is like peaks and valleys, right? Like you're on a mountaintop and then you go to a valley. Well, I'm on the mountaintop, but it's just a matter of time before I go to the valley. I'm in the valley. It's just a matter of time before I get to the mountaintop. How defeating is that mentality? Very defeating. It's a horrible mentality. And I'm going to, can I bust a truth for you? That's not true. That's the narrative you're believing, but that's not the truth. The truth is, is that good and bad are going on in your life every day all the time. Sometimes one track is a little wider, sometimes the other track's a little narrower, but good and bad are always going on at the same time. It's not that I'm on the mountain and everything's good and there is no bad. It's not that I'm in the valley and everything's bad and there's no good. Good and bad run parallel. And so it depends on which track you choose to focus on. But we live in this world where we think it's either or. We live in this world where it's one or the other. There, there are opposites. And what we're going to find today with generosity is that there are opposites. And then once I show you what the opposites are, we're going to talk about how do we fight against the opposites in our own life, in our own mind, in our own emotions, in the own way we view things. Anybody talk to yourself in here? It's okay. You can admit it. It's a safe place. How many of you answer yourself? Keep your hands up. All right. Good. I'm not the only crazy person. I'm glad that we're all crazies in this room. We're going to explore the discussion that we have with ourselves. And we're going to find that discussion this morning in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. We have this discussion with ourselves, but we're going to see it play out between two people, well, between three people, really. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Stop just for a minute. 
she was burning some amazing Yankee candle. And it filled the house. You guys with me? But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Back up for a minute. You don't think Jesus knew Judas was dipping in to the ministry's money for his own good, and yet Jesus kept him around. I'll just throw that out there. All right, next verse. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. There's a forever state. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What we have here is a dichotomy of two people. We have Mary, who is so gracious and so generous and so loving. And we have Judas, who is thinking only of himself. Two different people. How many of you know that Mary and Judas live in your own head? Come on. Come on. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, kick Judas out of your head. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Judas will betray you. Being selfish will betray you. At some point, it will betray you, right? So we have two people in our lives. We have two people in our hearts. We have a Mary and we have a Judas. Let me tell you something. Why do you think Mary is so generous? Jesus had just raised her brother from the dead. How many of us, how how many have had our lives raised from the dead because of the salvation in Jesus Christ, but we still want to hold on to things? Some people show themselves so rich in Jesus that they might raise their hands in worship. They might kneel during worship. They are rich in their expression to Jesus, and yet some of us want to sit back like Judas and say, how could they do that in church? You don't even know what God has raised them from. So how can you... How can you insult their spiritual richness because you don't know what Jesus has brought them back from? But here's Mary saying, I've got a year's wage, and I'm going to dump a year's wage on Jesus because he's raised my brother. Come on, right? Listen, if Jesus raised your brother or sister from the dead, you don't think you take a year's wage and lay it at his feet? What's their life worth? Mary said, I don't care. And let me tell you, I don't care if you make five grand a year or a billion dollars a year. A year's wage is a year's wage for anybody. It doesn't matter. So Mary said, I'm giving it all. I'm giving everything. And I'm not just giving the nard, but I'm giving my hair. And I'm giving who I am and everything at the feet of Jesus. Jesus had her heart. She said, I'm giving it all. So when you see people praise Jesus and it looks a little funny or you see people doing something a little bit different, you need to pull back and go, I don't know what God has delivered them from or where he's taking them to, but he must be in their life. Lord, would you do something amazing in you like that? That's where God needs to take us. Walk through something. And here's what I want to tell you. 
Whatever you're walking through, it doesn't compare to what God's taking you to, so keep walking. She had walked through the death of her brother. She had walked through and had to deal with her busybody sister, who was just a busybody, right? Would you just shut up and sit down for a minute? But I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this. And Jesus said, remember the story about Mary and Martha? Jesus said, listen, your sister Mary has chosen what's more important. And that's sitting at my feet. So you know what? The stuff in the crock pot can wait. The dust on the table can wait. Some of you went, yes, I don't have to dust this week. Right? <laughs> All this stuff can wait. Because what's most important is here right now. You guys, by sitting here this morning, coming in and worshiping God, have chosen to say, this here right now is more important than whatever needs to get done at my house. Jesus, you have said Jesus is more important than whatever needs to get done at my house. Jesus is more important than my sleep. Jesus is more, oh snap. Sorry, all you people watching online, I'm sorry. Some of you are sitting in bed right now watching online on your laptop. I know you are, or your phone. So, listen, we say Jesus is more important, and so I will sacrifice whatever it is. And so she sacrifices a year's wage. My friend, that is extreme generosity. Extreme generosity. But then there's this, <laughs> there's this other guy, Judas Iscariot. And I love how John records it. He says, he says that Judas wanted the money to go into Jesus' bank account because he took care of all the money for Jesus, and he just wanted to shave a little off for himself. Jesus, I know you called me to give 10%, but I'm only going to give 5 I need the other 5% for... Oh, snap, I just called myself a Judas. Did I just call anybody else a Judas? Because I've done it. I need to dip into what's yours, Jesus. I need to dip into it for me. Mm. That's tough. That's difficult. Judas is selfish, but he appears to be caring and religious. But he's really just selfish. I want it for myself. I want it to look like this for me. I want it to be, I really care for the poor, Jesus. We could, we, could, we could take some of this and give it to the poor. You don't think Jesus knew what was going on? Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was going on. Here's what we have to understand. Wherever you find generosity, you will find selfishness. It is just until we get a brand new body a brand new mind and a mind that's regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever you find generosity, you will find selfishness. It's inevitable. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. And here's how selfishness in our day looks. Selfishness in our day looks something like when you drive by somebody's really big mansion-type house and say, why do they need a house that big? Are you jealous? Well, that house, that money could have, he could have built a smaller house and given the rest of the money to, who does that sound like? Sounds like Judas. Well, why do they need a car like that? They, don't, they shouldn't be driving a car like that. 
They should have just taken some, taken, just bought, bought a cheaper car and, and, and just given some of that money. Oh, time out, time out, time out. Who made you the judge? That's religion. That's selfishness coming through. You don't know what they've been through. Maybe they grew up in the ghetto. Maybe they grew up in the holler. Maybe they grew up someplace and they had nothing and so finally they've obtained and they've worked their way to the top and they've earned a decent income. You don't know what they give away. You don't know what they give away. You're judging based on appearance. Let's not judge somebody because they have a bunch of money and have a big house and a nice car. The same is true on the other end. Let's not judge somebody because they don't have anything and they live in a cardboard box in an alley. That's not our concern. Our concern is to be generous. But we're all kind of like Judas, aren't we? can't believe they built that big of a house. You know, that money could have been given to the church. You know, that money could have been given to drill wells in Africa. We're all like Judas. And we need to ask repentance. We can tell God we're sorry for judging somebody because they drive a car that's worth $120,000. It's none of our business. It's none of our business. That's between them and God. God's the judge. Usually statements like that are made out of jealousy and selfishness. Here's what I have to understand about selfishness. Selfishness masks itself as care. Well, if they really cared. No, what? What, when I hear that statement, you've just told me more about yourself than you have about that individual. It's selfish. It's selfish. In fact, most people, when it comes to giving and changing and trying to give to reach others, we have Witham disease. You know what Witham disease? Anybody know what Witham disease is? Here's Witham disease. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? What'll make me comfortable? What'll, what'll, what'll make me feel better and be better? Witham disease. Jesus took Witham disease to the cross and nailed it to the cross. It's not about what's in it for me. It's about what's in it for them. What's in it for God's glory? What's in it to bring people to Jesus? That's what it's about. Not about me. So we have to fight the Witham disease. Judas had Witham disease. What's in it for me? Can I, can I give, give me a little bit off the top? Nobody will know. Nobody will see. But the one that will see is the one that matters. So how do we fight Witham disease? We have to God gives you the ability to gain wealth. The talent and the ability to gain wealth and to earn an income is the talent and the skill sets that God gave you. They belong to him so that when you earn that paycheck, that is a test. God's saying, no, I'm going to reward you for what you've got and the talent that I've given you now, I want to test you. We have to see that finances are a test. Where it's, whether it's Malachi 3.10, in fact, in Malachi 3.10, this isn't in my notes, but Malachi 
the Lord says, bring all of the tithe to the storehouse. And then he says something interesting. He says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing such that you cannot contain. It's the only time from Genesis to Revelation where God says, test me. Everywhere else in the Bible says, do not test the Lord thy God, right? Do not test God. Do not test God. Do not test God. And then we get to Malachi 3.10. He goes, oh, but when it comes to your finances, test me. And watch what I do. Watch what I do. Why? Because here's what finances represent. Here's what money represents. It represents security. It represents prestige. It represents comfort. It represents time. It represents your energy. Now, if I talk about comfort and prestige, and I talk about security, where are we supposed to get those things from? God, Jesus. But you know what happens? Well, if I had more money, I'd be more secure. And if I had more money, I'd feel more prestigious. And if I had more money, I'd be more secure and comfortable. And you're looking at money for for those things. And God's like, well, there's your God. There's your God. And you're trying to obtain your God yourself. He goes, I will provide all of that for you if you will test me in this. So how do we fight with them disease? We have to realize that our finances are a test. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11 through 12, Jesus has just given us a parable about the shrewd manager and manage your money and being wise with your finances. And then Jesus says this, so if you have not been trustworthy in a handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trusted with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You know what Jesus is saying? Can I put this in modern day terms? Stop holding out for management. Get a job. If I can't trust you with an entry-level job, what in the world makes you think I'm going to give you a director or a manager's job? Get in there, put your hand on the plow, and begin to work. Jesus says, you want me to entrust to you the, the wealth of heaven, right? Because you love me and I've redeemed you and you are a new creature, begin to work out of that and begin to prove yourself results, I will begin towards you. Understand something, this is not based on works, this is based on your identity in Christ. Because he loves me, I want to be responsible with what he's given me. And as I'm responsible with what he's given me, he rewards me with more. As he teaches me how to manage finances, I yield my life to his principles, he gives me more. Jesus said, guys, listen, there's a structure to this. There's a structure to what God has created. And so if we're going to fight and beat the Witham disease, it says, for me, we have to look at our finances as a test. Am I being generous with that test? Am I using that test the way it should be used? Right? You guys got real quiet on me. Started off really hot. You guys got really quiet. You're like, oh, man, I don't know about the test. Hey. God grades on a curve, okay, good news, called grace and mercy, 
He gives you time to get up to snuff and figure out what he's doing. He gives you grace and mercy. Now, in this test, though, what, we've, what we find throughout Scripture is that there tends to be levels of generosity, right? There's the tithe. That's what he asks of us. Above the tithe, there's offerings. So when we say tithes and offerings, they're not the same. Tithe literally means 10%. You can't say, well, I'm going to tithe 1%. That makes no sense. That's like saying I'm giving 10%, but I'm giving 1%. Right? So a tithe is 10%. And then it says tithes and offerings. Offerings is above the tithe. Offerings is in addition to. So like if, if you're tithing and something in the church says, well, hey, we're going to begin to raise money for X, Y, Z, that doesn't mean you take your tithe and then you shift it over here. You're still tithing, but now you're giving an offering. You're giving above that. You're giving beyond that. That's an offering. And then the third level, which is something that we don't really hear about much, is an ex- what I call an extravagant offering. Extravagant offering. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 3, we find that David wanted to build God a temple. And so David, in his conversation with God, God says, says, listen, you've been a man of war. You will not build a house of peace, but your son will build a house of peace. But David wanted to do something so that the temple of God could move forward. Even though God said, David, you won't be the one to move it forward. I'm going to bring in your son, and he's going to move my house forward. Okay? David goes, well, what can I do for your house? And so God says, well, you can, be, you, know, you can begin to get the gold and the silver and the wood, and you can begin to get all of these things ready. And so David, in 1 Kings chapter 3, David set, tells us what all David set aside so that his son could come in and build the temple and move it forward. If you take everything in that chapter, it equals, in today's dollars, it equals out to $21 billion dollars. David set aside $21 billion so that the temple, so that the Ark of the Covenant could move from the tent where it had always been into a brand spanking new building style everything and it would move forward and last for several future generations. Because let's just be honest, it wasn't going to last forever in a tent, Right? And so David set aside $21 billion in today's money. Could you imagine the U.S. government going, we're going to set aside $21 billion for the churches in America to renovate themselves? That's essentially what he did. Pretty extravagant, right? Okay, how about Solomon? Solomon comes in. He begins to build the temple. And then in the new temple... He's supposed to sacrifice a bull. But Solomon doesn't sacrifice a bull. It's a thousand bulls and sacrifices a thousand bulls in the new temple. He only needed to do one. To me, that's an extravagant offering. That's beyond what, right? Can you imagine? You know how long, all of you hunters, you know how long it takes to gut and clean something? You know how long it takes one? Solomon said, no, 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 we're doing a thousand. And I've read where the people have studied this out, and they were sacrificing bulls for days in the temple. For days. 
How about another striving and offering? Let, let, let's, let's quit looking at the amount, the $21 billion or the 1,000 bulls, because it's not always about the amount. In Luke chapter 21, verse 2, we see another example of an extravagant offering where the widow takes two mites and puts it in the, in the plate, right? Gives it to the temple. Two mites, two pennies. It's all she has to her name. It's everything she has. To Jesus, that's an extravagant offering. That's extravagant. That's over the top. It'd be like you going, well, I got $200 in my bank account. Let's just clear it out and put, give it all to the church. Right? David gave $21 billion. The widow gave two pennies. Mary gave a year's wage. Right? Do you know how they can be that extravagant? God has their heart first. They've yielded all of who they are to God first. Right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, Paul's writing, he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Paul's like, they gave more than they could ever even imagine. They, they didn't even, they didn't have the ability to do what they did. But entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. He says, they first of all, before they ever started giving money for the gospel to be spread, they gave all of who they were to God. They gave their time, they gave their energy, they gave their efforts. They gave, all, they gave their thought life. There's a big one. They gave their thought life. They gave their emotions. They gave it all to God and said, God, work me over, change me, make me a new person. They loved God so much that they gave him everything. And on the heels of that, guess what followed? The financial, man, we want the gospel to go forward. We want it to move forward. Have you ever been so excited about something that you just like, man, this is, people got to know. So you're like, I don't, I can't remember the last time. When was the last time you posted something on the socials? People got to know. People got to know. I got to push it out there. Right? Give yourself to it. I got, they got to know. That's how we should be with the gospel. They got to know. They have to know. Jesus, Jesus even said, he said, would a good shepherd not leave the 99 and go get the one? Do you know who the 99 are? You, sitting in here. The ones out there. Churches that are more concerned about the 99 sitting in the pews will never grow. They don't grow. They slowly die. You have to shift everything to focus on that. And then when they get in the pen, they begin to mature and grow as they begin to run up elbows with other believers. Or they begin to explore their faith. As atheists come in and sit down, and they might sit here for a year, right? People that, you would, people that you would think should never walk into a church have to walk into a place where they're going to feel love no matter how they identify. They're going to have to walk into a place that they feel accepted no matter where they come from. 
or how hungover they are or how bad they stink, right? I don't care that they haven't showered in six months. I really don't. Some of you are like, well, I'll sit somewhere else. Well, okay, so you told me something about yourself, right? Jesus said, leave the 99 and go get the one. And as long as we focus on the 99, that sheep pen's never going to grow. We have to be willing to be generous and give everything that we are to Christ for them. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart. Here's what we have to understand, that fear, selfishness will always tell us that's crazy. You can't give that, you coming up. You can't do that. You've got this coming up. You can't do that. This is coming up, right? Worry will always say, well, what about, what about, what about, what about, right? What about? So in closing, I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. Would the devil really try to get me to give my money to the preaching of the gospel so that people will get saved? The devil really, right? What do you really, well, I, I feel like I should give this, but it's a really big amount. God, do you want me to give that? Well, I guarantee you it's not the devil, <laughs> right? I really feel like I should just go to the church and donate some time, but I don't know if, is that the, is that the devil just trying to rob my time from my family? Is that, just, is that the devil trying to? What? Stop it. 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 <laughs> right? Listen. This morning, if you're going to win the battle of generosity, and we're going to defeat Witham disease, we have to see our finances as an opportunity and a test. To not only invite God's principles and laws into our life, but to also to destroy that selfish part of us because all of us in this room have a Mary and a Judas inside of us. We must feed one and starve the other. Because when you talk about this story, Jesus even said, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. Think about that. Jesus said, wherever I'm talked about, Mary will be talked about in her generosity. He didn't talk about Judas. He didn't say Judas would be talked about. Mary will get talked about. And so here we are this morning fulfilling exactly the words of Jesus, talking about Mary and her generosity. Let's stand up as we <clears throat> close out this morning. I want to invite you to Close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're watching online, I want to invite you to just take a moment and maybe the dog's barking because it wants to go out. Hurry up and let the dog out and come back. And I want you to think about and ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning? With nobody looking around, head bowed, eyes closed. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning?
And as you think about that, with head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, say, you know, I've never really yielded my life to Jesus so that he changes my thought life, he changes my identity, he changes everything that I am. I want to pray with you this morning. And whether you come forward for me to pray with you, I'll be at the back door as you walk out. I want to pray with you back there. It doesn't matter. I want to pray with you to believe that you, you would accept Jesus, believe on him, and begin to follow him. And if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything else, I'll be up here to pray as we close out in song. your touch Savior that I need in my life it's your heart I want to leave behind your face it's your face that I want to show them it's your touch that I need in my life Listen to those words. Lord, you chose me to carry you through. That's our calling. A world that's hungry and thirsting for you. We need him. I fall so short of taking your place. So I need your touch. Show them your face. Give it to them. It's your touch that I need in my life. It's your mark I want to leave behind. It's your face that I want to show them. It's your touch. That I need in my life. Lift it up. It's your touch that I need in my life. It's your mark I want to leave behind. Your face that I want to show them. It's your that I need in my life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be generous to our neighbors, to be generous to those around us, to be generous to your kingdom, to see the gospel go forward. As it said in 2 Corinthians, Lord, that they first gave themselves to you and everything else followed. Lord, this week, may we give ourselves to you so that we can see people come to the salvation that you offer us in Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen, amen.